Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and we have another great show we kick off the show with real colorado's lauren donaldson known now as the head coach of the incredibly successful jamaica women's world cup team Lauren Donaldson's been involved in the game in a long time, and he has made an indelible mark. College soccer season is underway tonight on ACC Network Extra. I'll have Southern Cal, led by Jane Alaconis, who played at Duke and coached at Duke, taking on her mentor, Robbie Church. That game is 7 o'clock. I'll have the call with Tess Bodie, now a star with the North Carolina Courage and another former Duke player. And it's Robbie Church who joins me today on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. On Sunday on the Big Ten Network, UNC Greensboro, which made it to the Elite Eight last year, will head up to face the crew and the Maryland Terrapins, led by Sasha Swarovski. The head coach for UNC Greensboro is Chris Rich, and he is on the show. And finally, we wrap up the show with the founders of DukeTig. You can find all of their great notebooks and their products at DukeTigBrand.com. And their founders are Adelaide Gay, who started North Carolina, and Tiffany Weimer, who started Penn State. Both have had great professional careers. Tiffany now coaching at Yale. And believe it or not, Adelaide Gay is still playing in the game, doing great stuff overseas. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. What an honor to kick off this week's show with the great Lorne Donaldson. We all know what he's done for the youth game, developing some of the top players in our country. That's at Real Colorado, and we all know what he did with the Jamaican team as they got out of group play and oh so close to advancing. Lorne Donaldson, I've known since... 1996 when I first showed up with the Colorado Rapids and it's been a pleasure to watch his amazing success. Lauren Donaldson, you're kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome, sir. Dean, thanks for having me on, man. It's fun. You know, we go, as I say, as you said, we go way back, 1996. Some people are saying 1996 are these guys dinosaurs, but (laughs) we go way back. (laughs) Yeah, well, I first got to meet you. You had done great work with the Colorado Foxes and that was kind of an interesting time because I think I felt like the Rapids and Foxes tried to compete for a year or two. Is that was my memory right there, Lauren? No, you were right because he was um the owner of the Foxes was Martin, a guy, a German guy by the name of Martin Martin Nickstoff. The Foxes was the Foxes with San Francisco and Montreal. Those were the big team. So 
they, they, they back then Alan Rathenberg and all these guys had meeting with the Foxes owner to be the the number one franchise coming into the um into the MLS. But as a German guy, he's stubborn. But then they they had a discussion. I was at the discussion actually, and um they wanted ten million dollars at the time for the Foxes to come in. And he went, he is he, a big German, he's six four, he wanted to fight. He said, This is crazy. You want me to pay $10 million to come into a single entity thing and you control the players, you control the league. And he said, we're going to lose the money anyway. I, he said, I'd rather lose the money my way, not your way. <laughs> and so it became a head button with the Federation and, and, and the Foxes. And I sat into those meetings and um, I remember him again. He was one of the biggest spenders buying tickets for the 94 World Cup. They did not recognize him after, give him anything. And he just said, he's not coming in. He wants to go head to head with wow. MLS. And I said, that's not going to work. I remember now we had Balboa and Robin Fraser and Mark Dodd and Mark Sant, all the national team players. And I said, that's not going to work. Okay. It's either you're in or you're out. And he said, I'm out. And that's wow. how it started. So he kept the Foxes now when, when MLS started in 96. He kept the Foxes for one more year. And at the time, uh, guys were still on contract. Their option here, Robin Fraser, Mark Sand, and I released the guys, Chad Ashton, some of these guys are coaching now, Major League, Woody Harris. And I, I feel obligated to letting these guys go into MLS because he's, he, he's in Germany. He doesn't know what's, what's happening. <laughs> and he wasn't happy with me. And he said, how, how did you do that? And I said, Martin, it's time. And he still didn't believe it's time. So the first year we went head to head. Yeah. Even though I released all the guys, most a lot of the guys to play. It was FC Dallas and the Rapids that had most of the Foxes guys. Yeah. And we played a match. <laughs> it was a great match. <laughs> and we tied, we tied two two. Okay. Okay. And yeah. we had um I had Woolly Harris at the time, and he's and he's making the transition. So I think he played a half for both teams. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was and so so you're right. They, they were just, we were just button edge and button edge. And, you know, after that, that was the last of the, um, the, the A-League for us. Yeah. We had to pull out because there's no way, because the Federation put the um, Rapids in Colorado because they wanted to block the Foxes. I mean, it was just, it was just war. I mean, uh, uh, it was like a war going on, a silent war between ownership. Incredible. And you know who's going to win that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do feel like, Lauren, you eventually were around the Rapids, though, in some form, weren't you? Did you help a little bit, or were you always just on the periphery? No, no, I was, I mean, I was I, I was around them, okay? And especially when, um, what's his name, who Mooch. passed away? Or Mooch. Mooch. When Mooch was around, me and Mooch became close, and Mooch, and, and then, you know, we said, I'm sending Mooch players, you know? I was a bit disappointed at the time, okay? Because when Major League started, and you can remember this, or attest to this, Major League was built on the premises, the premises of um, Latinos. Yeah, they were talking about Latino coaches, Latino players, Latino everything. And I said something to, I didn't think they like it. And I said, listen, why don't we forget race and just build teams that people will support? I said, mm -hmm. if the team is good, people will show up. And I didn't think the MLS guys at the time like that because they wanted to get Latino coaches and Latino players. So, so Mooch was around and then when Mooch passed away, you know, I was kind of helping Mooch at times when, especially when he's going out of town, he would say, Hey, Lauren, 
jump in, do a few sessions for me or whatever. It wasn't official. But when Mooch passed away, Tim Ankesey came in. I did apply for the job. And I figured, okay, I might have a chance now. And unfortunately, I didn't even get an interview. I don't know why. Didn't get an interview. And I'm, okay, I kind of like look back at it and say, all right, you know, I'm still a soccer guy. I'm going to support what I can support. Then I went and then Tim called me and said, hey, help me out here. So 2000, 2000 and 2001, I did step in with Tim a little bit and helped him out when Valderrama and John Spencer, Balboa, Robin Fraser, and a bunch of these guys got back together. It was a nice little team, you know, but um, stylistically, I was a little bit different. I wanted to see, you know, with all those players, I wanted to see a little bit different style. And, you know, I just, I stepped away after a couple of years. And that was it for Major League. All right. Well, I want to get to the World Cup, Lauren, but I also want to understand when you came over from Jamaica, you have definitely made Colorado your home. I mean, you, in my opinion, are, you know, probably the most influential man in soccer in the state of Colorado, let alone the world. That's the kind of impact that you've made, in my opinion, because you think about the players you've developed for the USA and other places as well. But Lauren, tell me your story. So when did you come over from Jamaica how big a family did you have? Was it straight to Colorado or were there some other stops before you got to Colorado? I came over in 79 playing for Jamaica. I was young. Came over in 79. I wanted to play the NASL. You know, I was like 21, 21, 22, somewhere there. But the NASL at the time was just based on American players. A few American players. It was based on the European players and um, the South American players. And there was there was really hardly any black players playing in the, in the league. And people saying it's going to be hard to get in. So... I looked around, there's no way I could get in. So I had a coach who saw me at Metro State University and he said, the easiest way to get in is um, play college ball and you will get drafted, okay? And I had no idea what draft is and all this stuff. So I did play. So the second year, the second year I'm playing, okay, the, the league is taking notice and I was playing a game in Oklahoma and he told me, hey, there's gonna be some scouts who, who are gonna be looking at you, okay? And at halftime, I'm like, I thought it was Boy Scouts. I didn't know what the, what the word scout mean. And I'm looking over and I say, where are the scouts? You say going to be here. And they say, those three guys over there in suits are the scouts. And I'm like, oh, those guys are agents. <laughs> he said, yes, that's what scout is. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I played and, and, and I said, okay, can I get in the draft after the game? And he said, yes. And he said, I'm going to give you a warning. The league is going to go under. The league is gonna fold. Oh. Okay, you you better you better just get your college degree. And he was right. And a, a year or so, a couple a couple teams dropped out, and then it came out that the league is not gonna survive. And I just finished college and stayed in Colorado and played around. There was no professional te team going on, just semi-pro team. All the pros are playing indoors. I didn't like indoors, and I just keep playing until the A League came about. And I said, oh, okay. Colorado had a franchise and I started to play and play and being an assistant coach. And finally, Dave Durr, it was a guy by the name of Emilio Romero, ex-national team guy. And then Dave Durr, me and him joined head with that. And we started coaching the A-League team and Dave left. And it was me who was, you know, I was coaching it up until it, 97, until everything folded. The, the disappointment I have with U.S. soccer or any the A-League or the APSL has never been mentioned in the history of soccer in this country. Never. Yeah. And there was an eight to ten year span where it was the only thing that the U.S. player had, apart from indoors. Yeah. 
and the great team, the San Francisco Blackhawks, the Montreal Impact, the Vancouver, the current team, Seattle, their current, all his current franchise. You know, the, the Foxes were still in operation. But the great thing about it was all the U.S. national team player, except for like Lexi, I was going to draft Lexi or the college. Most of them, Tab Ramos, Winalda, Balboa, Robin Fraser, all of these guys played in the league for a long time. That was their source of football. But the league, for some reason, I don't understand when they talk about football in this country, they never go back. Because for a 10 years window, from about 80, all the way up to the 90s, until the 90 World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, the 90, after the 90 World Cup, that's where all most of the players went. Tabby's in, in Jersey playing. Mm-hmm. You know, guys are all over. The San Francisco Blackhawks was loaded. Yeah. And then the Foxes became, we challenged them, and it was us and them going head-to-head. And then Vancouver stepped in. Seattle stepped in. So I don't understand why it's never been mentioned. That, that yeah, those I personally great times. I remember those days, yeah. Well, it was, it was it was actually a fun time. And if you talk to the guys now, I, I have a lot of chat with Robin Fraser because I see him almost every day. His U17 daughter who plays for the U.S. national team, she plays for me. And okay. Willie Harris is his assistant. So we always talk about it. And he says those days were the most fun days of football that he's, that he's played, even when he played. Yeah, man, he, he's a guy who was MLS defender for five years in a row, top defender, whatever. But he said he's never had fun like that. He talked to Woolley. It was a great days because... It was a small community, but there was a but but you know there were great players playing in the league. All oh, the yeah. best players, all the best American players and Canadian players, and a lot of foreign players like a guy like a Ty Fordiani, Walter Boyd from Jamaica. There were some great players playing, but it's never been mentioned for some reason. Well, one thing that is always going to be mentioned is the impact you've made, especially coming off the World Cup, and the impact you've also made developing top women's players at Real Colorado, Sophia Smith, and there's a bunch of other names. Tell me all the other names that you've coached of players that have uh, gone on to great success with the U.S. national teams and other national teams, because I know that it's deeper than Sophia Smith. There's a lot of them, Lauren, on the women's game. There's a lot of them that I can – Um, I, I will just mention one because she was – um. I think that was one of the last U20 that um, the U.S. has won. Keelan Winters. People don't, there's not a lot of mention about Keelan Winters, who, who I thought should have. I thought, you know, she should have gotten a crack for the U.S. national team. She was the captain for the under 20. I think maybe that, that, that was the last one that won. I, I can't remember clearly. But she was a captain. She was a great player, you know. So just, just to throw her in there, she was one of them. And a lot, a lot more followed her. That, that played Mallory Pugh yeah. now Mallory yeah. Swanson you coached then, her right then, then you have Mallory Pugh or Mallory Swanson I guess you know we're still a good friend she's still have her home in Colorado and you know she's coming back from um injury but we we chat over it and you know we're going to try to make sure that she's back again you know you got guys like Eaton Orvet who been with me since he was five years old I mean there's, there's a lot of great players yeah that has came true you know Jalen Inkle, who got in trouble because the first stance she took, you know, great kid, but you know, she just took her stance and you know, it it got her. I didn't say she got in trouble. The people just didn't like it, the stance she took. So uh, and then Sophie Smith and then, you know, I mean, but there's some good players who came through us, guys mm-hmm. and girls. Yeah, well, Colorado though has been around how long, Lauren? And now you're at the top of it. Have you always been at the top of it? Or because I mean I see your name, executive director, leader. Has that always been yours? Yeah, I came into Real Colorado in 97 when the Foxes went under. 
Okay. And um, back then, it was the Colorado Rush, who was the top club in, in youth soccer in the country. Yeah. And I decided, and we were all friends, you know, myself and Timmy Schultz and Tom Stone was at the Rush at the time. And I, so they would get all the players from my area and Tom Stone used to play for me. So I stepped in there and I said, listen, you know, I had kids. I said, I'm going to do this for a while, you know, just stay out of the pros. And I actually fell in love with it. And in a, in two years time, I changed the name. It was Douglas County Blast, the, the name of the club, but they used to call it Douglas County Lass. And I said, we're going to, I said, we're going to change that. And okay. in two years, we made a big, 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 big impact in youth soccer, in the community, you know, not cheating, just doing it the right way. Cause I didn't try to keep the older players. We just said, let's keep all the younger players. Everybody else can go play for the rush, but let's develop the players. Then Nike South, we're playing and Joe Ellsmore was at Nike and, you know, they, I kind of know a little bit of Joe then and, they saw us and they see us play and, you know, they wanted another club in Colorado because Rush was the big Nike-sponsored club all over the country. And they said, Lorna, are you interested? And then we we forged a partnership with um, Nike. And from there, it was, it, it's, it's been uphill since. And, you know, finally, we became the top club in Colorado. And, you know, the Rush is still around. Everybody is still around and we're still moving on. I want to remind everybody that, um, and obviously we're now going to get to the World Cup. You, I understand, Understand, actually, in the last World Cup, assisted Hugh Menzies, so you got a little taste of it, right? And now you took over the team. So this wasn't your first World Cup with Jamaica, right? Was it your second one, Lauren? Do I have that right, or am I wrong? You, yeah, you have that right. I mean, me and Hugh Menzies, when when we went into Jamaica football for free for a long, long time, for five, six years, we just kind of went in because we we her target now was because Sidella Marley, there was no program in Jamaica, women's team. So Sidella Marley stepped in and, you know, you know, spoke with you, Menzies. You Menzies called me up and he, and he told me we have, we have a project, you know, and right away it was a massive challenge because then there was nothing in 2015. So me and you Menzies start right away and we started very young, okay? I, I said, let me take the U17 because we have to develop. And you Menzies stay with the U20 and then we work with the, a current group of national team players. And after that, we kind of put everything together, but our aim wasn't was was not to go to the U to to the um to the 2019 World Cup. Our aim was actually the 2023. <laughs> okay, but everything kind of fast forward and we start looking at players. And one of the one of the big part we needed a goalkeeper at the time. And you know, Sidney Snyder was I was still in the youth game. We needed a, a, a goalkeeper for for the future. So we said, okay, let's go. I was in Seattle, and this was a funny one. I was in Seattle, and Greg, who was who was with Match Fit, they're playing a, and I know they're from Jersey, and I saw them warming up. You know the way tournament is, keepers are warming up, teams are all over the place. You don't know who is who, but I just happened to see Greg, and I'm like, I see a lot of black kids over there, black goalkeepers, and I'm like, Greg, are any of those goalkeeper yours? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Well, I say, anybody with Jamaican roots? <laughs> and he said, yeah. You think about it. He said, yeah, I think my goalkeeper has. So there was three, four or five keepers in the same era kind of warming up. So I went over there, and there was two black girls warming up, you know, whatever. And I walk, walk up to them, two keepers, and said, some Jamaican stuff, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they looked at me like I was crazy. And they told me, basically, we don't have Jamaican enough. So I walked back to Greg and said, Greg, she's not Jamaican. And he's looking at me, and he says, who did you go to? And I pointed. He said, no, that's the one over there. 
So he pointed to the white girl, which was Sydney yeah. Snyder. Yeah. So, so, so I walk, I walk over to Sydney, and feeling a little bit like, holy smoke, what, what are you doing, Anna? Are you stereotyping people? Okay. And I walk over to Sydney, and I, I, I said something to her and whatever, and she responded. And I said, who's Jamaican? She said, my mom. Wow. And I said, I want you for the under 17 team and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me like, you're crazy. I can't even basically. And I, then I talked to her mom and it's a long story. And mm -hmm. her mom is getting after me. She's not even good enough, Lauren. She's not good enough, you know? And I'm like, she's the best we had. And that's how <laughs> it started. <laughs> so we got her for the 17. We use her for the 20. And then she become a, at 19 years old, starting to keep her for the World Cup team. So, I mean, it was in, in two years, she went, she, she just climbed the ladder like in no time. And that's all we needed was a goalkeeper. It was funny, actually, at the time. Yeah, what a great story. And then I think, Lauren, one of the things that I've read, I thought your interview in Soccer America was great. So the fact that you were in Soccer America last week, you lead off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast, you deserve all this credit. Because what I'm reading kind of between the lines is not only were you proud to be in the World Cup? But, Lauren, I think if you're honest with me, you were going to try to win that thing. Like, you felt like you had enough to maybe win that whole thing. Is that fair or no? Listen, listen. I mean, we were counted out, okay, even from the qualifier when we went to Mexico because I took the team two weeks before we went to Mexico and play, mm -hmm. And they were out of shape. They will tell you that. And I said, the only way I will take the team unless we train in Colorado. So from that time, and, and, and Sidella says, yes, she will finance it. And they came to Colorado. You know Colorado area. And I was, you know, we have a nice little setup and they trade in Colorado. And I loved it. And I'm like, okay, we're going to go down to Mexico. And we're going to play Mexico first. And all the Mexicans down there are chanting. And if we have to get a result, we did beat, beat Mexico. And that's where it started and then got through. So when we went to the World Cup and without, with no games in hand and nothing going on and we can't get a game and nobody, you know, for whatever reason, it's Jamaica. We always have drama. Jamaica is the most dramatic country in the world. <laughs> you know, we did the camp in um, Jamaica, June 10th, right before the World Cup, June 10th to June 21st. And during that camp, you know, we had players that weren't even playing for their clubs, okay? And, oh, I mean, one was um, Swaby. Alison Swaby hasn't touched, played play club ball in a long time. She hadn't played a month, a, a game in... The last time she played, it was six months ago for Jamaica. And then Tier in the Welshire and some of these players. But I, so when the camp was, was over, I realized we could do something special. Okay? Everybody thought we, we were going to concede a lot of goals, and we did a lot of good work. And I'm like, you know, the coaches start believing, the medical staff, the equipment, everybody start saying, you know, you know they're looking at it and say, coach, something is different. And I, I said, I know something is different because we kind of instill, and I think Becky the goalkeeper, and Drew Spence, who came in from England right after their season, and they were supposed to be resting, and they say, Coach, we're not resting. Okay? That actually right there, I tried to pull them out of training sometime and say, sit, you know, just, you know, I don't want to overwork you guys. They said, no. You know? And they were leading. You know, we said, okay, we want them to believe as coaches, all of us, Will, who was great, our our um, performance trainer and everybody, well, we want them to believe that um, we can do this. And the first thing we said is, we all came together and said, we're in a foxhole together. You know, We have issues with the Federation in Jamaica. It's all kinds of stuff. Loan was supposed to be fired down in Jamaica because, you know, uh, you know, whatever. And 
the government stepped in. I said, we're going to get through the first round and do more. So <laughs> it, wasn't also, it wasn't surprising to us, but we were very disappointed against Colombia. Very, very disappointed. We thought we, we could have gone further. Nobody believed it. But inside of us, we knew, but we just couldn't get our front four to get on the right track playing. You know, defensively, we were good. We know we had to score a few goals to get to get through, and that that was a downfall. It didn't happen. So we're not blaming anybody. It's just one of those things that we defended from the front with Bonishaw starting our line of defense, and we just couldn't get the extra, you know, step, our coordination in the game to, to make it work up front. It didn't work properly the way we wanted to. So we look back at it and realize even now, the girls, the girls look back and said, we should have gone further. You know, they really believe it. And the coaching staff really did believe it. Well, I think now it's time. I did see some posts recently that with Vlatko leaving that, you know, they might want to hire another woman. I have no problem on this show saying that what you've done in developing some of the elite level players for the USA, what you did for Jamaica, why not Lauren Donaldson as the head coach of the U.S. women's team? I'm not saying that in jest. I'm saying that from my heart. I said it to you when I set up this call, Lauren. Lauren, you could lead the USA. Tell me you know that you could lead the USA. Listen, the USA has a fantastic group of players um, all around, and not because it was a bad, it was a bad World Cup. We don't have players in this country. <laughs> They're fantastic. I, I, know, I know most of them, and I know a lot of the upcoming players. There's a lot of players in the USA um, that I think that will will get the job done. It doesn't matter who is the coach. You know, the only my focus right now is I have a contract with Jamaica until September, and I have to make sure that my focus is trying to get to the Olympics. We have an Olympic game against Canada. We play the 22nd and we play the 26th of September, and that's my only focus right now is just to see that we can come back with the same mentality see if we could do something special, qualify for the Olympics. That's all I'm thinking about right now. But you didn't answer the question. Tell me that if the USA offered that you know that you could do it. No, there's no doubt in my mind that, 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 you know what, you could do it. But again, as I say, I don't even think about it, Dean. I just say my focus is just trying to get through this part of my job and just making sure that we're ready to play. When you look at Sophia Smith, and just a couple more questions with Lauren Donaldson, who just led Jamaica to great success in the last World Cup, and I think should be considered rightfully for the USA job. That's the third time I've said it. I won't say it anymore. But when, you know, Sophia Smith just shredded the North Carolina Courage with only 10 players, unbelievable. Her first three touches, boom, she scores a goal. What was it about her that you saw early? Because you got her early, right, Lauren? That I mean, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got her early when she's 12 years old, yeah. She's the new face of U.S. soccer. Yeah, when we saw her, and we saw her tenacity, and it was, I mean, me and Neil Payne, who was at Elon right now, good coach, great coach at Elon University. You know, we saw her, and we said, you know, we had to get her. And it was actually she and Jaylene Owell, who was playing, you know, right. who was a, who, yeah, Jaylene Owell. She's won the college uh, women's best player of the year twice, and Jaylene Owell was a national team player. So they were on the same team, and we played against them, and we like, said, you know, we have to get these girls, you know. Thanks to the guys up in um, Fort Collins, Arsenal, you know, great guys up there. We talked to them. Actually, we we were at their tournament this weekend, so we have we have a good relationship. And her dad and her mom, Molly, you know, she's a great, great human being. 
they brought her down and Jalen came down, Jalen, Jalen Owl, her, her actually, her dad won a Super Bowl. So he's a competitor. <laughs> so she competes with her brothers all the time. So they both came down on the same team and then Neil Payne started to coach them, you know, and I'm around the team and then I took the team over. But I saw in Sophie that um, there's a mentality of not losing. And then the, 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 the thing about it is she didn't matter what the score is. You know, if it's if it's if it's ten zero, she wanted to be twenty, and she 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 never understand that um, it's hey relax. And I remember in in a, we were at a uh, I think it's an academy game, girls academy going on. We were in Portland playing, and at at half it's raining, it's cold in Portland. I think it was February. We're freezing, and I'm like, this is one of the coldest game I'm coaching my life. And at halftime. We had another game the next day. At halftime, Sophie scored seven goals. Seven goals <laughs> the first half. And I decided to I decided to rest her. Say, okay, seven goals, rest, this. I don't want to embarrass the next team and the coach and everything. And I gave her all the speed why she's not going to play the second half. And all she came back to me was, they're playing. That's not my fault. I'm here to play. Okay. I mean, and it was an African-American coach. I didn't know the guy, actually. It was a black coach. I didn't know him, but he's a young guy. And I said, well, you know, that's one of my young coaches that I'm trying to help out. She says, that's, that's your problem and his problem. I'm here to play. Okay, she wanted to go back after scoring seven goals to keep playing. And that was her mentality. She don't care about the scores. She don't care about who's coaching. She just wanted to play. And eventually, I just took a stance and said, you're not going to go back in. And up to this day, she hasn't forgiven me. She will talk about that and say, she will ask me at a time, why did you take me out of the game? You know, and so why didn't you play me the second half? Well, oh, I'm nice. resting you for the next, and I even say, I'm resting you for the next day. She said, I don't need rest, you know, stuff like that. So you see that in her, but what I see in her is she used to drive four hours in, 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 in traffic back and forth to, from Denver to Fort Collins. And even on her half days, she would say, what are you doing? I need to get some work in. And she would drive down and I'm like, it's an off day. You know, she said, I don't care. So she had that drive in her, that thing that you don't teach. So I didn't teach that. I could just help her, tell her where the goal is and this is what you do and all this stuff. We do a lot of that stuff with her, different types of finishing. But the drive that she had, it was just her. I mean, and I, and her mom and her dad, they're great people, you know, and Jalen was the same. So they both have that drive, but Sophie had a special drive. Mallory Pugh was like that, but she was a little bit different. She lived close to the field, so she could just get to the field, feel, feel easy. Sophia, for a round trip, she didn't care what traffic it is or if it's snowing. And if it's snowing, she come down and train. Why are we not training? Snow. It's only snow. We can train in it. Stuff like that. So <laughs> I have pictures she's training wow. in the snow up to these days. You know, I was so... So, so she was a little bit, she, she's a little bit different when it comes to that. So even at the World Cup, when she'd be the first one to let you know that she was disappointed with everything, okay, I didn't even ask her questions about it. All yeah. we talk about is, yeah, you will win a World Cup. Let's move on. And yeah. that's why she went back to Portland right away and just said, listen, you know what? I, I talked to her before she, you know, she go out there and she said, yeah, I'm going out. I said, are you going to play? She said, I want to play. I don't know. 
So, mm-hmm. and you were telling me you watched the game and she came in I, and changed the game. I called the game. The game. I called the game. <laughs> you were calling the game and yeah. you're watching this like in real time. Like, what yeah. is going on here? Well, I, she literally, I, she literally just flew out. She didn't just day before. I know. I mean, I, I mean, know, like they, the day before. Yeah. She wasn't supposed to play. And I'm I, sure she tell them, put me in the game. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they tied it down a man. And I was like, when she goes in, this is in trouble. And I literally, I said it on the air. And then two seconds later, two touches passed, made a clinical run. I mean, it, it, just that little cut right there would be great to show all your players, Lauren. You know, look, this has been amazing. One of the things that I wanted to tell you is, you know, you weren't there. You were training Jamaica. But Nicole Hercules and now Andrew Richardson and Mike Curry. I mean, the job that they've done, I went to the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event, and they recognized you, Lauren. Unfortunately, you weren't there, and I was so moved, and since then, I haven't stopped, and you've been on the list all along, but I didn't want to bother you as you were, I knew you were going to do great things for the World Cup, but it used to be, Lauren, uh, you know, I've known you for 30 years, so I met you when I was 25, so people can do the math on how old I am, so um, (laughs) I've known you for 30 years, you have been a bright light when I was 25. You're even a brighter light now, 30 years later. And I'm not saying that in a sycophantic way, Lauren. You just always have carried yourself with class, with distinction. And you're just one of those guys that everybody loves. And now what Nicole has done has turned the Black Soccer Coaches group into, for me, a group of power, a group of magnitude, a group of influence which I think is awesome. So I want to end with that. You weren't there. They said a lot of nice things about you, just like I just did. But when you think about from where they've gone to where they are today, how does it make you feel looking at the Black soccer coaches community? Because it's pretty cool. I don't have words for Nicole. Nicole has been doing a fantastic job moving it along. Mike Curry has been there from, he was one of the, when we started it, you know, way back in the 90s. But the job Nicole has done and the people she has brought in, okay, there was a few, I mean, maybe 100 people. Now we're talking about thousands of black coaches all over the um, world, world in it. And it actually started real quick in 94. It was myself and Lincoln Phillips in 94 in Washington, D.C. And we went to the convention and we could count and, you know, our, both our hands how many black coaches mm-hmm. are around. And at the time, Jeff Tipping was the technical director for the, uh, back then it was the NSCAA. And me and Jeff and Peter Gooden, we used to do do courses. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a great. I used to do them and everybody had fun with it because I would throw something in and Jeff and Rick, what are you going to do? I said, I got to spice it up here, Jeff. Okay, so so we, we do these and Jeff, Jeff, Jeff was on the hunt to get black players. And I said, you cannot get black players involved. Because the, the Africans and the, and, the, and the West Indian that are coming into the country, they don't trust coaches here. They don't think anybody American know anything about football. So that's how I got involved. Mike Curry, Hilton Days was there. Sam Okapoda, we were on staff coaching and doing stuff. And that's how it started. So we sat there in the lobby in, in D.C. That's the last time it's been in D.C., 94. And we said, we have to do something. So we said, so, so we said Lincoln. Since U.S. soccer knows you and everybody loves you, you're going to lead this. And and that's how it started. And Lincoln said, okay. And we've been running with it since. And everybody has been, a lot of guy, guys been in and out, in and out, in and out presidents. But Nicole came in a, a few years ago and the job she has done was, I'm, I'm, I'm still saying, wow, what a job Nicole has done. Yes. Oh, that's so well said. A great way to end. What a job 
you have done and continue to do, Lauren. Thank you so much for your influence on the game at every single level, youth, pro, men, women, you name it, and the international stage. Good luck. As you said, your focus was on qualifying Jamaica for the Olympics. Uh, I, you know, Lauren, you and I, I think, could probably talk for two hours, right? You're such a great storyteller. We could talk for a day. We could talk for a day, Dean, especially if we go back to the old NASL and Major League. But oh, my God. You know what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I'm glad you got to say hello to Robbie Church, who's coming up as well, the top man at Duke. Lauren Donaldson, the legend that is Lauren Donaldson, kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast after a great run with Jamaica in the World Cup, getting the attention he deserves. And Lauren, thank you so much for kicking off our show. It's great to reconnect, and we'll see you down the road, my man. Thanks, Dean. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to catch up with you and all the people in America and Jamaica. So good to see a man who's dedicated so much of his time for the good of the game, get the recognition he deserves. Another man who's dedicated a ton of time to the college game is Robbie Church, now in his 23rd year leading the Duke Blue Devils tonight on ACC Network Extra, along with the North Carolina Courage's Tess Bodie, a former Duke superstar. Tess and I will have the call as Duke takes on Southern Cal and former Duke player and Duke coach Jane Alaconis, the head coach of the Trojans. Robbie Church, when we return. Registration for the 2024 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Anaheim, California is now open. From January 10th through the 14th, connect with your coaching community and enhance your resume by attending over 200 education sessions taught by world-class instructors. Get the most out of your convention experience by adding meal functions and award ceremonies to your registration. And don't forget to visit the huge exhibit hall offering the latest in tech, equipment, and more. Register now by going to United Soccer Coaches Convention Org. Registering before August 23rd guarantees you the lowest price possible for the 2024 convention. So don't delay. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Great to kick things off with Lauren Donaldson. Now, as promised, we're joined by the 23-year top man of the Duke Blue Devils, the super likable, great coach, Robbie Church for Duke. Duke will take on Southern Cal tonight at 7 o'clock over at Koskinen. Gene Alaconis played for Robbie Church and now is the Southern Cal coach. We'll talk a little bit about that, but first let's welcome Robbie Church to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Robbie, welcome back. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. It's always good to, to be on this podcast with the coaches and obviously, obviously always good to see you and be with you. Well, tonight at 7 o'clock, a former player, Gene Alaconis, who played for you at Duke, leads oh. Southern Cal. That will be oh. the game. Talk about Gene a little bit, Robbie. I know, I know. It, it, and this is the first. This is the first time that we've, we, we well, I'm sorry, it's a second. We, we Steph Golan, who was at Minnesota at the time, at time was uh, was the first one. It's just, it's weird. It's just weird because you're always pulling for your former players who is now coaching to win. And now you got to play against them and somebody's not going to win, you know, or maybe <laughs> in there so it's just you know i'm you know the first scores i'm always looking at you're looking at you're looking at missouri you're looking at at arizona you're looking at southern cal and how how our former players doing uh you know and, and head coaches and you're just you're pulling so it's it's a little strange i'll be honest with you it's not games that we really like 
Um, but it, it's a game that we really need to play too. It's a great Southern Cal team. Uh, Jane was a really, really good player here. She was a really good leader in our, in our program. She was a midfield general. A lot of things came through Jane when, when she was here. Uh, really good feet, being able to beat players, being able to find that, the final ball. Um, but, you know, we're just so proud of Jane and what, she, and what she's done. You know, you're like you're, you know, a, a proud dad when you look over there. But not on Thursday. You know, we, we need that win, too. So uh, it, it, when, it, when, the, when it kicks off at 7 o'clock, it's, you know, we'll, we'll be both be batting each other. But we'll be hugging before the game and we'll hug after the game, too. You opened the season with a 2-0 win, a wonderful goal from Cat Raider. How are you feeling about your team uh, early doors here of the 2023 campaign? Yeah, I think, Dean, I think we've had an unbelievable preseason. Um, the girls came in. Um, we only do one fitness test. We're not big testing people here, but they blew it out of the water. Probably the best in the last 10 years uh, on the fitness test. This, you know, obviously we've lost a lot of people from last year's team. Uh, but this started in the spring. This isn't something just starting preseason. Uh, we've got a really, really great group of senior leaders, um, and they don't want this program to fall. They want to stay at the 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 um, high expectations that we have, and they've worked extremely hard, extremely hard. You know, all spring preparation during the summer months and then into preseason. Um, and it, it's been a really joy to coach this group. Um, you know, they've just done nothing but give us everything that they have, every training, every pra at practice with it. So I really like where we're going. Um, I think our staff, Kieran Hall, Carl Overbeck, Lane Davis, have done an unbelievable job uh, of really teaching and and building um, during this springtime. And, and um, you know, we're seeing a lot of the things that we're doing in training going into our three games that we played, two exhibition match and the opening game against um, West Virginia. So, you know, you're very happy when you see things that go from training pitch onto the onto the field. Now, we're like everybody else in the country. We have a long ways to go. And there's, uh, you know, we've, we've got to get better in front of goal and we got to keep the ball a little bit more and counter press a little bit more. All those things that a little bit quicker with the counter press. So all those things that still have to work on. But where we are, you know, starting the second week of the season, I, I think we're in a good place. A lot of positive energy, a lot of a lot of really connect. Our team is very connected. So uh, this is a big week for us, not only Southern Cal, but then also Wisconsin on the back end on Sunday afternoon. Two really, really good programs. Here with Robbie Church, the top man for Duke now in his 23rd year. You t said that a lot of people have done a really good job. You know what, Robbie, you've done amazing job. You have made Duke a mainstay and automatic for the NCAA tournament. You have made college cup runs. You produced last year's Mac Herman Trophy winner. You have done amazing work at Duke. And I'm hoping you're going to tell me you have a lot of pride in what you've done at Duke. Oh yeah. Now I'm, I'm the, I will tell you, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Dean, I get out of bed. I go to a job that I love at a university. That I love every day. I love working with our staff. I love working with our, our players. Um, you know, at, at 23 years, when you say that, and I hear people say that, it's like, Hey, that, that's that's impossible. That can that cannot happen. It can't, be, it can't be 23 years that we've been here. Then I look in the mirror and I see all this gray hair. So maybe it maybe it has been a little bit. But <laughs> but it's uh, I, I, like I said earlier. I'm just the luckiest person. I, I love what I'm doing. Um, you know, and I, I love the people I do it with. So I'm I'm really blessed. And then our former players, 
are, are, are just, they're, they're great. And what they're doing in the world too. I think that's the neatest, one of the neatest things for me is not only that the players now, but what our former players are doing in the world and what difference they're making in the world. If it's college, you know, like Jane coming in coaching college, or if they're on wall street or if they're a doctor, they're just making a real difference in making this world better. So again, I'm just blessed. Yeah, indeed you are. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, we just saw the World Cup, but, you know, the women's game has never been better. We are now seeing, like, Michelle Cooper has the big season, decides to go pro. Riley yeah. Jackson, the former ECNL Player of the Year, has already announced that she's with the Courage. So there's a few things there. Yep. Anson was on last week's show, and he kind of puffed his chest, and, and rightfully so, and he said he still thinks – college soccer is the best way to truly develop players and particularly in the women's game specifically yep. to the women's game how are you feeling about players leaving early or in the case of riley players going straight to the pros yeah i mean it, it's it's tough but you know i think probably along the same line as of anson it's the game is evolving and you know i, I always tell the ladies and people who come to our camp you're in the golden age of women's soccer right now the options that you have both collegiately and professionally are are incredible. Um, would we want to have these players stay and stay in our program? Yes, for sure. Okay, but we want what's best for these players. And if this is if this is the best for for Riley or or family and stuff, then you know they're going to leave. We're going to be sad because we don't have the opportunity to coach them because she's such a wonderful, wonderful uh, young lady. We're sad for that, but we're also happy at the same time that she's got a chance to fulfill their their dream. But you know, again, like Anson, no question about it. College soccer is the best way to develop. Um, look at look at the World Cup rosters of the U.S. Obviously, look at World Cup rosters of other countries. How many players have come through the college model? And especially if you're playing in somewhere like the ACC and you're playing tough games day in and day out, the training that you're getting good training, you're getting you know you're getting all that you need. Uh, during that time to develop, and it's a proven it's a proven commodity that this will this will work the college game. So I, I do I do I don't want people bashing the college game and saying hey, just because just because the U.S. team did not perform up to expectations, it's all been dumped back on the colleges. That is incorrect. You develop. We are developing players. We are developing players. We are playing good competition, and we're preparing them to move on to the next level. Uh, if that's here, if that's here domestically or if that's internationally. Great answer. And one of the things that we've always talked about is the fact that when you play in the ACC, it's like playing an NCAA tournament game each and every week. Is it not, Robbie? It is. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. Um, and, and But that's why you come to the ACC as a coach and a player. You want to play with and you want to play against the best players. And, you know, the other thing that we do is we go out and play a great non-conference uh, schedule. Anson does the same thing at Carolina. We have really good players in our program. We want to make our pro we want to make our players better. And and to do that, we've got to play really good teams. Even out of, even those four weeks that are non-conference games, we're still going to challenge ourselves. We're going to Stanford in a couple of weeks. We have, you know, USC here this week. We have Wisconsin here uh, this week. We're going to play UCLA and USC next year um, on the West Coast. And and so we've got a nice commitment from our university. But again, it, the bottom line is we're trying to develop our players and we're trying to make them the best they can be. And to do that, you've got to reach out and you've got to play really good teams. Robbie Church and the Duke Blue Devils will play Southern Cal tonight at 7 o'clock on ACC Network Extra. I'll have the call with Tess 
Bodie, which is, I think, another great thing about the NWSL, the North Carolina Courage right up the road. Tess yeah. has been brilliant on the field. She's earned the number yeah. nine role, particularly when Caroline's gone. But I think she's earned the right to play even when Caroline comes back. And there's Duke players scattered all over the yeah. NWSL. And and Tess Bodie now has an opportunity to also do something I think she loves quite a bit, and that is work in the TV booth. That's pretty cool, Robbie. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, and Tess is just an awesome young lady too. Um, you know, and I'm so proud of her because she's just, she's done nothing but work hard. She, as we mentioned earlier, Dean, she's gotten better and she got better and better every year she was at Duke. And, you know, she, she's obviously naturally gifted, but she's not overly naturally gifted. She's got to work hard at it. And she got to work hard at her crap and she's done that. So you, you know, you just, you're just so proud of people like that, whatever field they choose, as long as they dive into it and they, you know, they work hard they get better and better and, and Tess has done that and I'm sure she will do that in the broadcasting booth but you can tell she enjoys that too I'll listen back to her broadcast you guys uh, and you can tell both of you have great passion for what you do and we appreciate that a great deal Robbie Church, one of the things that I do know is you've got great passion for your family. I'm pretty sure that you have a son that is also a coach, <laughs> but a different sport. Take some time and tell us about your family, your wife and your kids and what they're doing. Can you, Robbie? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, my wife, Linda, we've been married 40 years and is a saint. You know how coaches' wives, they they put up with so much. And she's put up with so much for me. And, uh, and you know, she is just absolutely a saint. And I'm very, very blessed in that area, too. Uh, our daughter, Ashley, played four years of uh, college soccer at UNC Wilmington. Um, got into coaching a little bit right afterwards. And then she found her calling is that she is a nurse uh, down in, in Wilmington and she's been in emergency rooms and um, different types. She's now with pharmaceutical companies and then she does some work in the emergency room down there. And we're very, very proud. She just got married this summer in Cancun. So we had a great time in, uh, in July in Cancun, a little bit hot. If you're going to go to, to Mexico in, in July, very hot, but uh, but it was a wonderful wedding. And then, of course, our son, Kyle, um, is coming off a Final Four basketball appearance. He is a, a full-time assistant coach at Florida Atlantic University. So Linda and I were full-time groupies, uh, Florida Atlantic groupies in, in the month of March and April. Um, we went to all the other NCAA games. We got to go to Columbus, Ohio. We got to go to Madison Square Garden. We got to go to the Final Four in Houston, Texas. And it was uh, it was an unbelievable ride. And, you know, to see your to see your kids out succeed and be successful, as both of them have, has done, you know, and most of the credit goes to Linda for sure, um, you know, but to see them succeed seat as they are and then you know and then obviously Kyle in athletics to see him to see that was uh we've had a lot of nice wins here at Duke but at nothing kind of tops off seeing them get to the final four a mid-level major team like uh Florida Atlantic and their run they had and kind of heartbreaking loss on a last second shot to go to the national championship game but they've got everybody returning and they're excited about about next year too so I got chills on that answer because I forgot that he was at Florida Atlantic and then yeah. you were doing that trip. Wow, what a dream uh, scenario oh, for you. Because was, and we had great seats too. I've been to Madison <laughs> Square Garden many times with Duke over Christmas. We used to take the kids and we were up pretty high. I was on third, <laughs> I was on third row this year. And then I've been to Kyle and I have been to many Duke Final Fours. We're both basketball junkies, and I was up high in those dome stadiums. I was on row five this year. <laughs> Uh, so I, we, Linda and I had great, great seats for, for that, for the games too. So I guess there are some perks 
that uh, that you that you get from being a parent. But but it was great to be at FAU Groupie and travel around with them and their fans and and their team uh, for those four weeks. That's awesome. Finally, it is game day. I'm at Baldhead Island. I'm getting ready to catch the ferry. <laughs> And I'll be passing by Oak Island. And oh, things that yeah. I know about you, Robbie, is when you do finally hang them up, you're going to live a great life down there. It, it's a special place, Oak Island. Oh, it's 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 awesome, Dean. It's awesome. We had a condo right there in um, in Caswell Beach, which is connected to Oak Island, for eight years. And last and then last spring, we bought a house in Oak Island. It's on the marsh. It's on the marsh. So one day, not any, I don't know when, but one day, um, Lynn and I are going to sell, and we're going to move to the beach, and everybody's invited to come to come and see us and sit down <laughs> and look at our beautiful sunset and look out over the water. Uh, we may have a cold beverage or so for you if you if you stop by. That sounds awesome. Always a pleasure spending time with Robbie Church. Don't forget tonight at seven o'clock it'll be the Duke Blue Devils, a power every year in women's soccer, taking on Southern Cal. Coached by a former Duke player and Duke coach, Gene Alaconis, which will make even give even more intrigue to that game. Southern Cal, Duke, 7 o'clock tonight on ACC Network Extra. Robbie Church, always a pleasure. We'll see you at Koskinen tonight. Thanks for spending time with us. Dean, thank you. Thank you for all you do, too, Dean. Thank you so much. You mean so much to the game. I appreciate it. Coming up, Chris Rich, the head coach for UNC Greensboro men's soccer team. He also spent some time at Duke. College Services Registration is open for the 2023-24 season. Now is the time to register your program and begin receiving the benefits of United Soccer Coaches membership. As a member, you gain access to coaching resources, general liability insurance, awards and rankings eligibility, and so much more. As the home of all coaches, United Soccer Coaches serves to support coaches, recognize your athletes' accomplishments, and advocate for meaningful change that protects coaches coaches, and players. Register your program today by visiting unitedsoccercoaches.org backslash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Great to hear from Robbie Church, the longtime Duke women's head soccer coach. Reminding you, I'll have that call tonight on ACC Network Extra against Southern Cal. And now joined by Chris Rich. What an amazing job he's now done in his fifth year at UNC Greensboro, taking his men's team last year to the Elite Eight, one step away from the College Cup, which was just down the road. They were oh so close. Chris Rich also has ties to Duke. We'll get into that as well as Chris Rich joins me now. Chris, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Hey, Dean. It's good to be on here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited because you're going to be on the Big Ten Network, which, uh, by the way, Chris, this is my 17th year. I love working at the Big Ten Network. So professional. They've clearly done it right. And you're going to be on against Maryland, Sasha Sarosky. Let's start with that, because if you're like me, you understand that Sasha Sarosky is probably the number one pioneer for Friday Night Lights and getting soccer on television and really getting behind college soccer. The atmosphere will be you know, maybe a little bit different on a Sunday night, but it's always pretty good. You know that Sasha's done a ton for the college game, right? Oh, for sure. I think everyone knows that. Um, he is definitely a pioneer, as you said. He's he's a legend in college soccer. Um, and that that goes on top of all of his national championships, ACT championships, doing well in the Big Ten. Um, he's obviously super successful as a, uh, as a coach, built Maryland into a powerhouse, and uh, but has done so much off the, off the field. I, I've had the pleasure of, being on many committees over the last five years with him either chairing the committee or with the 21st century committee. I was on that as well. So I had the opportunity to see him firsthand and, and him 
kind of changed college soccer. So he's he's one of the best for sure. I want to get into the amazing season you had last year, although it's probably in your rear view mirror because you're always focused on the present and moving forward. But before I do, obviously an incredible year. And one of the things they always say is if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Taking on Maryland at College Park in that atmosphere, that's a big test. Talk about your assessment and why you decided to have your kids go up to College Park. Yeah, well, not just Maryland. Uh, we, we had to put together a really good schedule this year um, for us to continue to evolve as a program. Uh, last year, we felt like we were a very good team. Obviously, we finished in the Elite Eight, top five in the country, um, just came short of going to the Final Four. Um, we want to sustain success now. So in order to sustain success, in my opinion, from a mid-major level, you have to load up your non-conference schedule. So we, we picked up Cal here, opening night. We go to Maryland. Then we could play at home to Louisville. We play Campbell. We play West Virginia at home. We play Penn State at home. Play High Point. Um, we play VCU, UNCW. We don't have any games where we look at our non-conference schedule and we're like, okay, that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> we we look at it. We we loaded up our non-conference schedule because we have huge ambition, um, and we're going to be tested early for sure. Going playing at home to Cal and then going on the road to Maryland. I mean, I, I've been to College Park a few times uh, when they were in the ACC. I don't know if there's ever been a, a tougher environment during my time. So time in that league. So we're excited for the opportunity. We think um, I wouldn't say we're ready right now because we're focused on Cal. Um, but after Cal, we'll, we'll shift our focus to Maryland, but we, we know it's going to be a tough test and we're excited for it. Yeah. Reminding you that Chris Rich's UNC Greensboro team plays tonight against Cal Berkeley and then heads up to college park Sunday night, seven o'clock on the big 10 network. It's UNC Greensboro taking on Maryland and Chris, let's go back to last year though. What an incredible run. Did you know early on you had a team that could make it that far? Just one step away from the college cup, sir. Yeah, we, we knew we were going to be very good. Um, you know, we returned uh, a very good group from 21 to 22. Uh, we just missed the NCAA tournament in 2021, where we won 13 games. We were the leading goal-scoring team in the country in 2021. Um, and we were a top 40 RPI team. When we lost our last game, we dropped out. I guess uh, we were on the bubble. We didn't get in. So we returned that whole group and then added um, you know, some spe- three, four very good players. So we knew we were going to be good. You never know how good until you get into it. You know, we we got going. We started off the year last year on a very positive note. I think we beat um, Asheville 5-1, High Point 5-1, Coastal 5-1 in our first three games. Uh, and then we beat Wilmington 2-0. So we're like, okay, you know, we're pretty good. And then, but we hadn't tested ourselves yet. Then we played, or against, I guess, the bigger names. We went and played Clemson and Louisville and SMU. And we had some positive results. We went undefeated during those three games. So at that point, we knew we were pretty good. And, and uh we had to focus on each game at, at every time, and, and uh, we were able to take care of conference, both the, the regular season and the, and the tournament. And, and I think the key for us was to position ourselves uh, in a positive way in the NCAA tournament. I, I, I know how hard it is to make the NCAA tournament. I know how much harder it is when you're in the tournament and when you don't get a buy or you don't get a seed, right? It's, it's heavily favoring the team that gets a seed. Um, we're fortunate enough to get a seed. Played Ohio State um, in the in the second round. They just played three nights ago. I mean, that was a tough game. That was I mean, Coach Mazenoff obviously does a fantastic job. So we knew that was tough. But you know, we were fresh. We 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 win that game, and you know, then we had to go travel across the country and play um, play Stanford. So that was fun as well. So we knew 
we knew were pretty good. And then once we got going and we, we, we were just finding ways to win games. Um, we created winning habits and then we had some really talented players. You know, we, we probably had the best player in the country in JC Gondo um, who you tore it up really. Um, and now is doing well in the MLS. So uh, we knew we were good. We just didn't know how good. Great to be with Chris Rich, the head coach for the UNC Greensboro men's soccer team. Reminding you again, he'll be on the Big Ten Network on Sunday night, taking on Maryland up in College Park. Tonight, he's got Cal Berkeley. Chris Rich, I met you, I think, first at North Carolina and then Duke. That was your order of, of business, right? Like you spent time That's with right. Carlos Samuano and then moved to John Kerr. What would you take away from those two coaches? What a blessing that was. Um, you know, obviously it was it was probably on the outside looking in and definitely internally. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a normal thing to go from Carolina to Duke. Um, but the way I looked at it is I, I've worked for two of the best coaches in the college game. I've worked for probably the two or two of the most prestigious universities. And what comes along with that, you you get to know people, other coaches like Anson Dorrance and Robbie Church and and uh, and and ads and associate ads that are now ads at those institu institutions. So I was very lucky. You know what I took away. Carlos was so detail minded. Um, you know I really learned the details of set pieces, the details of throw ins, um, the details of rest defense. Um, kind of how he went about his business. He he never was content. He was never um, okay with status quo he was always focused on the little details every single day and, and at first when you're in it you're like oh wow it's a lot right and then when you reflect on it you're like this is elite this is exactly how it's done so i learned a lot from coach and then and john is coach kerr is completely different than carlos different personalities um john john was that was a fantastic experience he gave me a lot of responsibility um i learned so much uh, a lot in terms of how to run a program, you know, fundraising. He is elite in fundraising. Um, I've never met somebody with more passion for a program. He's a dookie through and through, um, you know, so he bleeds uh, Duke level, uh, Duke uh, blue devil blue. Sorry. Um, so he, um, you know, he really represented the program at the highest level. So it taught me, you know, how to be a head coach, how to, how to be a head coach when things are going well, how to be a head coach when things aren't going well, because, you know, it's easy when things are going well, but he always represented Duke at the highest level. So uh, both completely different people and different coaches, but I learned a ton from those two. Chris Rich started his coaching career at the college level at his alma mater, Barry, where he got not one, but two degrees. And then he would go on to spend time at Florida International and Virginia Tech before those stops we just talked about with North Carolina and Duke. Chris, remind me where you grew up and why you picked Barry and what position you played at Barry. Yeah, I was a goalkeeper. Um, so um, I, I grew up in Tampa, Florida. How I ended up at Barry is, is, is a crazy story. I was actually going to go to the University of South Florida, and then there was a coaching change, and uh, my position was in limbo. I thought I was going to go there, and I ended up not being uh, not being in the plan. So I ended up down down south at Barry. Didn't know anything about it. Um, it was the best thing for me because it exposed me just to things different in life, right? Different culture, different food, um, different network of people, people I'm still very, very close to. Um, Started coaching there after being a uh, graduate assistant, then became a full-time assistant, and then transitioned to FIU from Munga Ekatebi. So my time in Miami, my time at Barry was perfect for me. You know, the D2 level to learn how to be an assistant coach, learn how to do everything, right? I was doing laundry. I was helping with the the, the grass and really doing all, all aspects of um, the program that 
it wasn't coaching. <laughs> and then as I, I elevated up the ladder, I learned how to become a coach. I learned how to become a recruiter. Um, and then I kind of brought it all together in terms of how to run a program. Um, so it was really, really good experience for me. You know, UNC Greensboro, I have ties to that fine university dating back to the early 90s where the full U.S. national team under Bora Militinovich actually played an international game at UNC Greensboro. I was blown away by it then. I was just back this summer because the ECNL did their media day at UNC Greensboro. Great setting just down the road from Bryan Park. UNC Greensboro is legit. It is a great school, good academics, really good athletics. What else can you tell us about UNC Greensboro, Chris Fridge? Yeah, the best part is we're a soccer school. We have no American football. That's 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 a big time on our campus. Um, we're not a small school. We have about 19,000 students, but uh, we're not the largest school in the world. Um, but we're located right in the middle of the state, which is a pretty cool location to Raleigh, to Charlotte, and so on. Um, you know, we have a soccer-specific stadium. You know, that that's awesome, right? Uh, we don't have all the, all the bells and whistles. We don't have all the resources in the world, but – on this campus, this sport is super important. Um, you mentioned some of the history. This program has won five national championships in the Division Three era. They've hosted World Cup qualifiers. They've, they've hosted uh, many, many events from uh, D3 national championships to D2 national championships and, and now hosting Division I um, soccer NCAA tournament games. So we have an unbelievable facility here, great soccer stadium. And again, soccer, which is probably the coolest part, uh, because even when I was at Duke in Carolina, you could be really, really good, but there's a set of priorities, right? You you could be number one in the country, but they're still talking about men's basketball and football. Well, on our campus, they talk about men's soccer, um, and as long as we continue to do the right things, they'll keep talking about us, uh, which is pretty cool, and it gives our guys a platform to be successful, which is super important. You are being super successful just one step away a year ago from the College Cup tonight. They open the season against Cal Berkeley, and then Sunday night on the Big Ten Network, I'll have the call for that game as they take on Sasso Sarosky and the Maryland Terrapins at College Park. Chris, one of the things that I always liked about you is that, one, every game that I would call, whether it was a North Carolina or Duke, you always took the time to say hello and how you doing and that type of thing, and I always appreciated that. And as you know, I took an interest in your career, and I think we had some talks about, you know, you interviewing some for some other jobs, and then you got this job, and now you're loving it. I I'd love you to – Talk a little bit about for coaches out there that, you know, maybe they don't get the head coaching job they want the first time around. Just kind of talk about your message to them on sticking to it and continuing to kind of work at it. What is your message to coaches that are waiting for that big break, but just have not received that big break yet? Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to become a division one or, or head coach at any level. Um, and, you know, the way I looked at it was um, I tried to get the most of every experience that I was at, you know, when I was at Virginia tech, I had, I had a specific role. And then I go to UNC had a completely different role, go to Duke, completely different role. So along the way, I was obviously building connect connections, building a net network with um, different coaches and, and different bosses. But the most important thing was uh, I had a different role everywhere. So my, my job was to execute, execute that role at the highest level I think so many people are so ambitious and want to be a head coach today. And I was as well, and I'm still ambitious, but to be honest, the best way to get those opportunities is just to do really, really, really well at your job to, to do it, to be at the highest level in your role and your responsibility. So 
Um, I was fortunate enough to get some great learning experiences from um, all, all, all my many stops. And, and when I was at Duke, you know, it's all about timing too. You need a little bit of luck. I was at Duke. We were very successful. We just went to a couple of sweet 16s. Um, and I was ready. I felt like I was ready to become a head coach, even though I wasn't really ready, uh, but I wanted that opportunity. And uh, like you said, it didn't come quick. You know, I, I had four or five head coach interviews in one year and uh, you know, every one of them went a different route, you know, phone calls, no phone call back um, interviews last stage, didn't get it. Um, and I was just on the cusp of getting an opportunity. And then ironically, I interviewed for this job and, uh, and didn't get, didn't get it. Right. And I don't know if you know that, but I interviewed for this job in the first cycle. didn't get the opportunity, but I was the finalist. Well, the job opened up seven months later. And when it opened up seven months later, I had the, I had the opportunity to get the job and I wasn't interviewed. I was a phone call and say, coach, we want you. We want you to be our next head coach. This is what happened here at UNCG. We have a transition, but we want to move quickly. You're our guy. Well, because I, I interviewed well and I handled that really professionally, um, I guess the defeat of not getting the job with that administration they thought of me when the job opened up again. And it's actually a pretty small world in the AD world. Um, th that AD called my AD at Duke and, and uh, uh, Mr. White gave me the opportunity and, and ca called John Kerr and coach gave me his blessing because this was in last week in July and here I am. So I guess I would say make the most of every opportunity, every responsibility that you have and uh, make sure you uh, handle things as professional as you can because you never know how you're going to get your opportunity. Chris, that is a phenomenal answer. I'm so glad I asked it. I'm even more excited about your answer and hope people will soak that in. That was fantastic. Just two more questions for you. As we know, we're just a few years removed from Marshall winning a national championship. It seemed like last year the mid-majors were blowing up. You were one step away from the College Cup. What is it about men's college soccer D1 where the mid-majors can puff out their chest and say, come on, Maryland, Come on, Indiana, I can handle this, and we can win a national championship. Yeah, well, men's soccer is such a unique sport. Obviously, um, you know, in most sports, you talk about the Power 5 level, right? And the Big 10s, the SECs, the Big 12s, Pac-12s. Well, obviously, in men's soccer, they don't sponsor all those sports at these schools, right? So already, there's, um, in terms of uh, quantity, there's not this huge SEC conference of 12 to 15 schools, men's soccer programs have all the resources in the world. It's Kentucky and, and uh, South Carolina, right? So um, already right there, I think um, there's not as many that you're fighting with. And then the international game changes it, it all, right? There's so much parity in men's soccer where we as a men's soccer program, we may, even with our success recently, we can't go and get always the top American kids domestically or in-state. We try. But a lot of the things that we do is that we work the transfer portal, which is a great way to recruit nowadays. It's, it's a challenge for sure, but it's a great opportunity there. And then contacts overseas where we can bring in players that um, are on par, if not better than some of these um, players at those places that you mentioned. So there's a lot of parity in, in men's soccer. You look at programs like Vermont, FIU, Marshall winning the national championship. Obviously, Marshall paved the way, but they're not the only ones out there. FIU, UCF, well, I guess you don't call UCF a mid-major anymore. Um, but there's so many programs out there that are doing well. And to be, to be honest, I'm rooting for those programs, the New Hampshire's. I'm rooting for those mid-majors because 
I think the the power fives, the powers of B, they don't want us to do well. <laughs> they they want to keep us down here. Um, but we 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 all are, you know, there's many people doing a great job that uh, are putting together some really competitive, talented rosters that can compete with anybody. And we're trying to do the same thing. It's not easy, but um, I, I think uh, w- with the the level of uh, player that you can find anywhere in the world, if you're if you're um, good at recruiting and you're good at building a roster, you can build a roster that's good enough to beat those programs. Another great answer. Final question. You've got Cal Berkeley tonight. That is your focus. I understand that. But I would like to know what your message to your team is going to be about dealing with that environment at College Park, the Maryland Terrapins, and the crew. What will you say to your team before you march out there and try to get a big win over the Terps? That's a good question. Um, and I don't I don't have it yet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, listen, you know, we – we went to Clemson last year. We won two one. We went to SMU. Got a good result. We got a draw. We got went to Stanford. Beat them in PKs. Who beat Stanford in PKs? Right. Um, you know, we we have some really good experience under our belt. So, uh, I think Maryland um, is known for having a hostile environment. They have a very good fan group. Obviously, they're right behind the goals. Um, you have to embrace that, right? You have to love that experience. So, to me. We're going to go in there with the mindset that we're going to win the game. We're going to go in there and respect that, uh, respect the level of the opponent, respect the level of um, of the coaching, and certainly respect uh, the challenge that comes with that crowd and that atmosphere. But embrace every bit of that challenge, right? Love that challenge. And listen, if we're on the day, if we if we execute our roles and we we execute in the right moments and, and deal with what they can bring to the table, then we're going to be successful. And if we're not, and if we don't, then Maryland will beat us. But it's certainly not going to be because we're not ready for that moment because we've been in that moment the last year to two years. Now we just have to be ready for it this specific moment and be good on the day. Men's college soccer D1 style kicks off today, including UNC Greensboro against Cal Berkeley. And then just on Sunday, 7 o'clock, the Big Ten Network, UNC Greensboro, great run last year under Chris Rich, now in his fifth season. Look for them to make another big run and look for them on Sunday night, 7 o'clock, the Big Ten Network, as UNC Greensboro takes on the Maryland Terrapins. Chris Rich, thanks for setting the table. Good luck tonight, and we'll see you in College Park on Sunday. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to tonight's Duke women's soccer game against Southern Cal and Sunday's game with UNC Greensboro and Chris Rich taking on Sasso Sarosky and Maryland 7 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. We are not done as two professional soccer players. In fact, one of them is still playing. The other is coaching at Yale, talking about Adelaide Gay and Tiffany Weimer. They came up with this incredible notion of a user-friendly notebook and other things that help coaches. It's called Duktig. All of you out there, I'm sure, love your Duktig notebooks. They do so much more than that now as well. Adelaide Gay and Tiffany Weimer tell their story when we return. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. 
Moving right along on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, a power-packed show, and we're joined by two power-packed women, Adelaide Gay, who played at North Carolina and is still playing professionally, and Tiffany Weimer, who played at Penn State. They're both the founders of Duke Tig, which we'll get into as well. The irony is, just last week, I called North Carolina at Penn State on the Big Ten Network to start the season 0-0, and so we'll start with that as we welcome in Adelaide Gay and Tiffany Weimer. Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. How are you guys doing? Thank you, Dean. We're doing great. Everything's good. Busy preseason at Yale, coaching right now, but looking forward to talk all things Duke Dig right now. All right. Before we get into Duke Tig, any trash talking before that Penn State North Carolina game I called last week? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, a little bit. <laughs> well, then I guess that 0 0 score <laughs> works just fine. So Let's set the table again, though. So, Adelaide, we'll start with you. Just tell your story a little bit, where you grew up, where you played club soccer, when you were at North Carolina, and some of your stops along the way, and then we'll do the same thing with Tiff. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up playing for PDA, which I know is is a very big club there. It was when I was there as well, but I played there back when there was only one team at each age group. After that, when I graduated, I initially went to Yale for a year and a half. I played one season there and then I transferred to the University of North Carolina, actually playing with a, a lot of Tar Heels in the, in the summer after my freshman year at Yale. And so I ended up transferring, played three seasons at UNC, won a national championship my senior year, 2012. And I have been playing professionally ever since. I've played for the Thorns, the Spirit, the courage in the u.s and then i've i played two years in sweden a year in norway a year in iceland and i just played about two and a half years in denmark that is awesome all right tiff tell us your story as well where you grew up where you played youth soccer your years at penn state and what you've done since sounds like you said you're coaching at yale if you've coached other places this is the united soccer coaches podcast i'd like to know that too <laughs> i grew up in connecticut and played my, all my youth soccer in Connecticut. Went to Penn State after that. Didn't win a national championship like Addy, but two Final Fours, close enough. So we lost to Portland twice in the Final Fours. Christine Sinclair was on those teams, so it's all good. Then I played pro for 12 years after college and hung up the boots a couple of years ago to start coaching. I coached youth soccer in the DA and the GA. And I've been at Yale since 2019 and still playing every summer in the UWS, keeping it going for as long as my legs will let me. Who's the coach at Yale? Sarah Martinez. How much are you enjoying coaching in college now in addition to youth? I really like coaching a lot at all levels. I love working with players who really want to get better and who love the game. And there's nothing else I would rather be doing aside from playing. Well, make no mistake. Duke has been a very supportive partner to the association for a long time. And your story is very authentic, kind of an organic startup story. And I'll let you guys tell it. How did you come up with the concept? What exactly is it that Duke Tig does? And definitely spend some time on the organic part on, you know, putting this together. If you can, we'll start with you, Adelaide. Yeah. So we were both playing in Sweden at the time. Hence why we chose a Swedish word, Duke Dig, for, for the name. And we had talked a few times before about wanting to have a soccer-specific notebook because I always kept all my notes in just a regular moleskin with the lined pages. And I was always drawing the goal and the 18-yard box in by hand. And it frustrated me because 
it was never perfect and it was ugly. And I really, you know, they had some soccer notebooks out there. I was Googling it, but they were spiral bound. They were not nice. Like I wanted to have that moleskin feel and Tiff felt the same way. We talked about it quite a bit. And I actually just started emailing companies, asking them if they would make it. So I like emailed moleskin and all these different companies and no one responded to me except for one, which was like a small sort of startup company as well. And they said, no, it's not really in our wheelhouse, but we, we will sell you 500. Um, and so that's when Tiff and I started sort of talking seriously about, should we do it? Should we buy 500? And um, if so, what would it look like? What do we want the brand to stand for? And where do we see it going? And honestly, I don't think we thought too much ahead down the line, but uh, we did think that maybe there would be people out there that would want it as well. And for us on a women's soccer salary at that point, buying 500 was kind of maxing out our credit cards. So um, we did it and we actually started selling them before we even had them in our hands. Uh, just on a random Tuesday, we put up a website and uh, the response was, was really huge. And so we bought more and um, people started reaching out to us and asking for different kinds of notebooks. They were the ones that said we would like it to be waterproof because we coach in the rain. Um, and so that was a big change for us to move everything to being waterproof. It was a really slow organic story. We're still entirely self-funded. And so we kind of just grew it slowly and organically. And, and it was really at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in 2018 that we really started to see, okay, maybe we have something here because we got to meet all these people that would stop by our, our booth. We were sharing a table with Techni, actually, Yael Averbush and Techni. Anthony Dechico, um, he was with AstroTurf at the time, and he helped set up a booth for us there because we didn't know anything about the United Soccer Coaches Convention at that point. We'd never been. So um, we were sharing a table, and people would come by and show us their notebooks, and they would just be full, and they would be saying how, how great it was and how it helped them uh, develop as a coach. So that really inspired us. That's how we started our membership. I have to say the United Soccer Coaches Convention has been huge for us every single year. Can you add to that, Tiff? Do you remember the early days and then kind of the sort of big moment with United Soccer Coaches? That's a great description, Adelaide. Let's see what Tiff can add to it. Yeah, I think when we were in Sweden and we heard the word duptig, first and foremost, we, we didn't know what it meant. And people were saying that to us after games. So we found out that it meant to be good at something. They were saying it to me more than Addie, but it's okay. She always leaves that part out. We said, how, are, how do you become great at something or good at something? And for us, it's always been, we, we're planners, we are goal setters, we are, we, we're big on reflection, we're big on writing. Writing is a huge part of our lives. And so in order to be great at something in our view, notebooks are, are part of that. And that's really where we're grounded in and where we're where we took off from the conventions like she said just getting to meet people who were like-minded who thought the same way we did was so cool because we were in a little soccer bubble just with our playing days we only knew the players in our little environments the soccer world is huge <laughs> there's a lot of different people doing a lot of amazing things and, and we finally got to be a part of that and we're we're, we feel like we are a part of that now and that's what keeps us going it's just uh there's you know if we could help coaches create better environments and experiences for their players and themselves then we're kind of doing our job with a piece of paper if you think of it that way i really feel like your buyers are loyal like you've built a really loyal community have you not They've just become your friends. I don't even think we actually, Addy, you could say if we do ever use the word customers because people become our, our friends and we know them personally. 
the first time we went to the convention, we just had a list of names of people that would buy from us. And then we just put all these faces to names. And then from the faces, you know, we have their phone numbers and friendships now. And I think that's been probably the coolest part of this is that we're like them, they're like us, and any of them could have started the same company. <laughs> Great to have Adelaide Gay and Tiffany Weimer, the founders of Dutig. And what I understand is you guys have always developed new products based on feedback and requests from their customers and members. So how many products do you have, Adelaide? Oh, wow. I actually don't know the exact number. I would, I would definitely say... 15 to 20 in that range. Obviously, not all of them are notebooks. We have some accessories, session cards, pens, ruler, some notepads. We also have our neck warmer is really popular. So um, we've definitely grown probably about 15 or 20 different products now. And like I said, it's definitely the cu customers. <laughs> now I use that word. It's definitely our members, the people who buy the products that reach out to us and give us feedback and have helped us really make the products better in quality and better in design. So we have one notebook, the Scout, that's entirely designed by our members. We had several Zoom calls with them where they told us what they would want in a scouting notebook. Just in general, I would say whenever we need to make a product better or we're getting feedback, we go to them and, and we ask them, what would you want? Because I think like Tiff said earlier, we have a very spe specific experience in the game, right? I'm a goalkeeper. I'm still a player. Uh, Tiff's a coach, but we don't know the whole spectrum of what people are doing in the game and what they need. And I think it's been really helpful to get to talk to people who are doing very different things from us, whether it's working with really small kids or working at the pro level as a coach or being a scout just in general. We had some members ask for a stat sheet, which is something that we never would have thought for thought of because we don't take stats ourselves. So it's just interesting to get to hear different people's perspectives. I think a lot of companies think they know what people want. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe as soon as we let uh, let go of that idea that we know everything, then we can be, I think, more successful. And I think that comes from that that idea comes from for us being players. If we couldn't accept feedback and put it to use as players at our level, then we just we wouldn't be around much and coaches wouldn't keep us. So our ability to just let our guard down and say, we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers I think has made us whatever Duke Dick has become. And I'm assuming it's as simple as a website. Is it just the three W's and then D U K T I G.com. Is that how everybody can order all the stuff or is it a different website? It's a uh, Duke dig brand.com. So www.dukedigbrand.com brand.com a great partner of United Soccer Coaches. And of course, Toby Trug also recommended you guys as well because he said, anecdotally, he said he gets asked all the time if we have any more Duke Tick notebooks constantly in the office. And Jeff Van Dusen, the CEO for United Soccer Coaches, actually does not attend any meeting without a Duke Tick notebook in hand. I love that anecdote from Toby. And, and it's true. I mean, coaches, I see them all the time. And just the other day, I saw... Anson posted, I'm sure you saw that as well, Adelaide, Anson working with the Duke Tick Notebook. So that's kind of bringing a smile to your face, obviously, right? Well, I'm actually very proud of Anson using it because for years he has used a legal pad from his days, you know, be becoming a lawyer. And um, when I first approached him about this idea and I said, 
what would you want in a soccer notebook? He just kept saying, I use a legal pad. And I was like, okay, then. So getting him to convert was, was actually, I'm very proud of that. And as I mentioned already, Lauren Donaldson kicked off the show, did a great job with Jamaica. You know, he's the guy that coached Sophia Smith and a couple other members of the U.S. national team. Spain just beat England in the final. I mean, I just don't feel like there's a better time for women's soccer. The NWSL feel like they've got things organized now. Can you guys just talk about uh, what it's like being in this era right now for for women's soccer at all levels? I think it's just amazing. Yes, it's unbelievable. I mean, just over the course of of my career, which is the past ten years, you know, the game has changed so much in and of itself. The way you have to play as a goalkeeper is so different from ten years ago, and then everything around it is just so, so different to look at what the NWSL was in the first year, which was my first professional season to now is just completely night and day. And I think it's, it's really, really cool. And it's spreading to all the different countries, all the different leagues. I think women's soccer is definitely just on a meteoric rise. <laughs> you know, our first years and I was in WPS for a couple of years and NWSL and just the experiences that we had, you know, it was always so cool to play pro, but we we always knew that we didn't have everything we needed to be extremely successful as players and that the men's side was always getting everything they needed. So now to see that all that time put in, you know, from from the bottom, from WUSA days, from the early national team days for those players to see us be successful and now to see other players for, uh, for us be successful, it's just... You know, it's not that it that not that it ever wouldn't have been worth it, <laughs> because playing is the best. But I think it's just makes you know makes us proud of what we have been a part of to build it. And it wasn't always easy, but it was it was always so worth it. Great to have the founders of Duke Tig who continue to do great things in the women's game as it grows, and we see it right before our eyes. Talking about Adelaide Gay and Tiffany Weimer. Going to put a little pressure on you. You guys have had amazing careers but i want you to pick your number one memory in the game and it could be something that you did something that you saw whatever it is we'll start with you tiff your number one greatest memory in the game as a player a coach a businesswoman what's your number one memory my number one memory there's a lot but the, you did make this tough that's tough <laughs> but i would i actually remember standing on the field for a champions league game in europe and the Champions League theme song played. And I never thought that they were actually going to play it for our women's Champions League game. For There was like, I don't know, not even 100 people in the stands. But that song came on. And I know the meaning of that song for other people at other, you know, in front of 80,000 people. And my, I got chills. Mm -hmm. I, I had goosebumps on my arms. And I felt like, wow, this is, this is an unbelievable experience. And at that very moment, I felt like an out-of-body experience that I don't know how I got here from North Haven, Connecticut, but it's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I absolutely love that answer. And Adelaide, you had a little extra time to be thinking about it. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's hear you top that one. Your number one memory in the game, Adelaide. I'm actually not sure that that made it easier to think. I think I, I've I've played for, for two teams post-collegiately, like professionally, where I really, you know, felt very deeply connected to the players on the team and where we achieved like great things and we won championships and I just really appreciated those moments but I I will have to say winning the national championship in North Carolina I, I that is crazy that that is still the best feeling for me because I just 
was, I was so happy there. I would have played for Carolina forever if I could have, I, it was just the best. I, I loved it so much. And yeah, I would have to still go with that. I think that works. Two great answers. All right. This is what I call in case you missed it, final word. And so when you think about creating this company, Duketig, and you can purchase all their great products at duketigbrand.com. If you just had one sentence, both of you, to tell people what you're most proud of at Duketig, and you did it right now, what would it be? Tiff, we'll start with you again. I think what I'm most proud of is that we stick to our values and our morals no matter what. We have the utmost respect for anyone who spends their money with our company and supports us. And so the sentence I would say is, even if the post office loses your package, we will send you a new one for free because it's not your fault. It's not our fault, but we're the only ones that can make it better. And we will, and we'll do whatever we can to make your experience with us the best we can. Last word time for Adelaide Gay. My goodness, that was so good. I completely <laughs> echo that sentiment. I honestly am very proud that we are still in business. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's awesome. Let's do this. As we say goodbye, I also want to do the one sentence thing. When you hear these three words, we'll start with you this time, Adelaide. When you hear these three words, United Soccer Coaches, what do they mean to you? Again, I just think of the convention and all the people and the community and just being around people where you just know, like, we're the same. We're doing the same stuff. We have the same commitment. We're thinking about the same stuff. We have the same on the ground experiences. Sometimes it's tough, but yeah, I really just think of, of community when I think of United Soccer Coaches. Same question for Tiffany Weimer. Just a place where we belong. Everybody that obsesses over this game, that loves this game, that puts their life into that game, that sacrifices other things for this game. We're all in the same in the same place once a year and you just feel like you're a part of something that's really special. The college soccer season is just starting. You need your notebooks. You need everything that Duketig offers. You can check them out at Duketig, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. The founders, Adelaide Gay, star at North Carolina, Tiffany Weimer, a star at Penn State, both of them great professional careers, both of them still involved in the game in a big, big way. Tiffany and Adelaide, thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank, thank you, you, Dean. Thank you, Tiff. And thank you, Adelaide. Also want to thank Lauren Donaldson, Robbie Church, and Chris Rich. Need to thank Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. Have to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. And of course, I need to thank you, our members. For each and every one of you and United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.